Let's open our Bibles to John 20. I'm going to start with a quote from Dr. Henry Morris and then a second one by John Scott. Dr. Henry Morris, he says, The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. Now, John Scott, when I, I, I quote from him, he says, it is fitting that a supernatural person should enter and leave the earth in a supernatural way. This is, in fact, what the New Testament teaches and the church believes. His birth was natural, but his conception was supernatural. His death was natural, but his resurrection was supernatural. I'd like to lay a little background because um, this doesn't happen often that we have the Jewish celebration of Passover and Easter actually happening at the same time. For some of you, this will be new. So I'm going to go back and have you, um, we're going to lay the foundation of what happened between when we were here on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday morning. So let's go back to the book of Leviticus. It would be in the first five books after Exodus. So there's Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. I'd like you to turn to chapter 23. And what the whole chapter really is about is the Lord laying out the different feasts that the children of Israel were to keep um, from year to year. And um, it just so happened on Good Friday, while we were speaking, um, they were experiencing Passover. And Passover was actually taking place while we were having our service here on on Good Friday. So we read in verse four, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, the Lord's Passover. Well, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He fulfilled that. And um, it happened to fall on Good Friday, which is rare indeed that we had Passover and Good Friday coinciding. Uh, They set it according to when the full moons are, and it doesn't always work the same way with our calendar, but this year it did. As a matter of fact, if we read on in verses six through eight, Passover lasts for one day, but on the 15th day, Passover would have been the 14th day. In verse six, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. To the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. So you have Passover, you have unleavened bread. So as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem this morning, they're actually celebrating the feast of Passover it goes right into the next day, unleavened bread. So as we're here um, uh, celebrating the resurrection, uh, the uh, 
the Jewish people are still in the celebration of unleavened bread. On Good Friday, when if you were here, you can turn back to John now, John chapter 20. Um, if you were here on Good Friday, we went through the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. Uh, the second thing that the Lord said was to the thief that was hanging um, on his, I believe it was his right side. He said to the thief on the cross, he looked at the Lord and he said, Lord, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? He had no good works, never went to church, never was baptized, never said a sinner's prayer. He had nothing going for him. All he could do was look at the Lord and said, Lord, would you remember me? And the Lord's response to the thief on the cross was, today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, we know because of Jonah, um, we read Matthew 12, verse 40, uh, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the uh, belly of a fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. My point is, when he says to the thief on the cross, today you're gonna be with me in paradise, he was not talking about heaven. He was talking about a place where Old Testament saints went. I can't get into detail this morning, but if you'd like to track this down further, you can go to Luke 16, we did it on Friday, and read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it talks about this place that we call Abraham's bosom. What happened to all the Old Testament saints when they died? Well, you see, they couldn't go to heaven. They couldn't go to heaven because Jesus had not yet died on the cross. So the reason that he said to the thief, today you're going to be with me in paradise, he's talking about this place called Abraham's bosom. And um, it tells us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 51, after Jesus arose from the dead, that would be the uh, the Sunday morning, it says that the graves were opened and many of the saints that were asleep arose and appeared to many in Jerusalem. Now that had to be pretty weird. You got to admit that people that you knew that were dead, all of a sudden you have relatives um, knocking on your door. What was happening? What is Abraham's bosom? Well, it's paradise. Um, we read in Ephesians, if again, if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter four, it says, wherefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now, that he ascended, what does, what does it mean that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. So when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into the lower parts of the earth to do what? To set the captives free. Uh, They were actually waiting for him. He that descended is also the one that ascended far above all things that he might fulfill all things. The last thing Jesus said uh, from the cross is, Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's Matthew 27. 
And um, I'm going to have you turn at this point to Matthew 27. I want to point something out there. Matthew 27, looking at verses 50 to 53, something I just quoted. The last thing that the Lord said was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Verse 50 tells us how he did it. When you put the Gospels all together, you get a complete picture of what took place on Good Friday. Here, in verse 50, it says, in Jesus, when he had cried out. So this wasn't um, something under his breath. This was something that he shouted, like a shout of victory. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when that happened, something happened in the temple in Jerusalem. We read in verse 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. And what I just quoted on verse 52, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves, and this is very important, after his resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus was the first one to come back to life with a glorified body. And I think we talked about the other ones who had died, Lazarus died, Jairus' daughter died, and a young man died. And the sad part about them being brought back to life, it was happy, but they had to die again. Not so with the Lord, and not so with these Old Testament saints. Well, who are these Old Testament saints? Again, if you're taking notes, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, these all died in faith. Well, who all died in faith? Well, all the people from the Old Testament. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Well, what was the promise? The kingdom. Israel looked for their Messiah to establish the kingdom. That's coming. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Uh, they misunderstood. They were expecting a conquering warrior to deliver them from the Roman bondage. Instead, he comes riding humbly down on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, on a colt. Um, and he knew within that week that he would uh, be crucified. So, who are these men? They all, they all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So what was the Lord doing for those three days? First Peter 4, 6, you might want to write it down. It says he preached even to the, 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 uh, uh, the, the saints, the spirits that were in prison. So they couldn't go to heaven, but as soon as Jesus died, what does it say? After his resurrection, they went into the city. I believe there is no longer a place called Abraham's bosom. I don't believe there's a place called paradise. Today the Bible says to be absent from the body. If one of you would die today or this week or whenever, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Good place for an amen. And that's the hope that we have because of the resurrection. Now when a person dies, they don't go to a temporary holding place. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as soul sleep. These are all myths that man made up, certainly not biblical. Uh, 
It teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you know Jesus as your personal savior. Now, three days later, let's get past those three days when he was in the heart of the earth. Now, three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead. Well, this morning, we will look at the order of those he appeared to on the first day of the week, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And our text that Paul read for us earlier, let's go back to it in John chapter 20. I got extremely interested in the complexity of the compilation of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of the event and how some things are added, some things are omitted. Some things, I have to be honest with you, twisted my mind to the point where I didn't have time to do the research to figure it all out. And um, T.A. McMahon is going to be with us from the Berean call this Wednesday. So I'm going to encourage you to be Bereans. And I'm going to not tease you a little bit because I have to confess I'm working out some things in the order of events on what happened on Resurrection Sunday. But let's begin here in John 20. And I'll point out um, some similarities and some differences. It says, on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Please make note of that. The stone is already removed. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John is always referring to himself, not by his personal name, but as that disciple whom Jesus loved. Lord, uh, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and we were, they were going to the tomb, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Let me point out, John is the only gospel that tells us that John can run faster than Peter. <laughs> it's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And it just says, you know, I'm going to ask him about this later. He says, come on, there's a time and a place to brag. I don't think this is up. <laughs> and then he stooped in and looked in and saw the linen lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, probably huffing and puffing. I think Peter was a big man. And went into the tomb and saw the linen clothing lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not laying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, I've been there many times. And when you walk into the tomb, there's actually a place uh, that's there. It's within short walking distance from Calvary, Golgotha. Um, matter of fact, let's put that up on the screen right now. We'll put a, a picture of um, uh, the tomb and you'll notice uh, the opening of the door there, you'll notice uh, um, the stones about a foot high in front of the door. That was for the size of the rock that would have been there. The rock would have been a very large stone and that um, sort of um, little uh, valley there would have held the stone against the tomb itself. So they ran and looked inside and Evidently what happened when the Lord came, there was two garments, and he actually folded one of them up 
and, and placed it down. And then it, we read the, the handkerchief that had been around his head, not laying with the linen clothed, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own home. So what we will want to point out here in John is uh, what's going to be unique is that it's dark. We read in verse 2, while it was still dark. Please make a mental note of that and make a mental note that the, the stone had already been rolled away. Now, in um, Matthew's account, we're going to read, it began to be dawn. It's not dark, it's getting lighter in Matthew's account. And if you're taking note, the same story in Mark chapter 16, um, it says that the sun had risen when the women came with the spices. And putting this all together um, is a very, very interesting compilation of the complete picture. Now, in verse 11, we know if we're going to talk about the order of events that Jesus appeared to pe- um, people on Resurrection Sunday in verse 11, Mary would be the first one. So we read in verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. This is the same um, Mary Magdalene that had seven demons cast out of her. She would have lived up by the Sea of Galilee. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Now, a speculation here. Uh, She could have been just looking down. Maybe she didn't look up at all. Um, But what I'm going to point out this morning, in three different cases, Jesus is purposely choosing to not reveal his identity. And it'll see it more clearly when we talk about Cleopas. For here, it's not clear. It just said um, she doesn't know that it was the Lord, thought it was the gardener. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where I've laid him, and I will take him away. Oh, she loved the Lord. And when the Lord set Mary Magdalene free, as we studied on Wednesday night, these were the women that traveled with the disciples, and out of their own pocketbook, they sustained the disciples wherever they went. Mary was one of the gals that would go along with the Lord. And it says from their surplus, they took care of the disciples. I don't believe the Lord had a dime in his pocket, a shekel in his pocket. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because when when the question was asked about the taxes, he says, give me a coin. And he says, whose inscription's on it? And they said, Caesar's. And he says, well, render to Caesar's what's Caesar's and render to God's what's God's. What's your point? I don't think he had a coin. I think he had to ask for one. 
when it came tax time. Well, it's tax time right now. <laughs> and Peter had to pay the taxes. They had to pay their taxes. What are we going to do, Lord? Tell you what, Peter, go fishing. And the first fish that you catch, you're going to find a coin in his mouth and go pay your taxes. What's your point? Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus around at tax time? <laughs> I don't think they had money. They, they, uh, they traveled and they were cared for. The Lord told, when he sent out the 70s, he says, when you enter into a, a person's house, say, um, come in peace and um, they'll take care of you and they'll provide the meal that, was, that was, uh, would be given to them. Let's read on. Her love, where where they laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. Well, she may not have recognized his appearance, but she sure knew that voice. And she turned and said to him, Roboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to, to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God, and your God, and Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and it, he had spoken these things to her. So with that account, let's go and compare it to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll find some similarities, and we'll find some differences. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8 It says, now after the Sabbath, would have been Saturday, so the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, um, it began to dawn. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. What do we have different here? Well, first of all, it was dark in John 20. And here it's beginning, we have another Mary there, and it's beginning to, the sun is beginning to rise. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now, when Mary was there in John, the stone's already been rolled away. Here, the angel comes down and, and rolls it away and then sits on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. We'll read these guards uh, they, were, they were charged. Um, this, this guy, Jesus, said he was going to die and rise again in three days. You better double, double the watch. And um, when they went back to report that he's indeed missing, they were fearful. So the leaders gave him a lot of money and just say that the disciples told him. And it goes on to say that that report is true to this day. And might I say that many people believe that Jesus did not raise from the dead, that his disciples stole him, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Verse five, verse five. Uh, But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. I believe... Um, that this actually is the tomb that Jesus was in. We know that it's a first century tomb. 
We know that it was owned by a very wealthy man because of the, the cistern that was there that's about as big as this building is right here. Huge. And it was a tomb that no one had ever been in before. And it's within a couple hundred yards from what we call uh, Golgotha or Calvary. And he says, go quickly and, now this is the angel, come and see the place where he's laid. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold I have told you. So they they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. So similar to John, but uh, there are some differences that are here. Um, We find in Luke 24, verse 12, I'll just quote it to you, that it says, uh, Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooped in. He saw the linen clothes lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself what had happened. Now, everything that we've read thus far happened when it was dark, when it was dawn, and then in Mark's gospel it tells us the sun was, was up. And this is a good place to, if you want to do a good Bible study, see how it all fits together. All right, this happened on Sunday morning. Now I want to move on into Sunday afternoon. For that, we need to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. Oh, picking it up in verse 13. Try to put yourself in these two men's sandals. They were disciples. They had given up pretty much everything to follow the Lord. And now that the Lord had been crucified, they knew he was dead. And um, they knew he was buried. So they're going home. Picking it up in verse 13 now. Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. This is not the morning, this is the afternoon. I know that because they're going to invite Jesus in for supper because it's getting dark. It can't be morning. It's gotta be the afternoon, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of those things which had happened. And so it was while they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So now I go back to Mary. She doesn't recognize him either. Was her eyes restrained also? This is clear. This clearly tells us that the Lord restrained their eyes that he would not be identified or recognized as Jesus. And there's a lot of possibilities here. Could could have been the beating that he received. He had a beard at one time. The Bible tells us they ripped it out. Any of you guys that have beards, you must have known, have any idea what that feels like. (laughs) And that could have been the case. I lean towards that if he has the ability to walk through walls, he also has the ability, if he chooses, to um, change his outward appearance. And now they have to respond by faith instead of by looks. Let me give you an example. 
Remember he says, go tell the disciples I'm gonna meet them up in the Galilee. Well, in John 20, it talks about them waiting. There's seven of them there. And while they're waiting, Peter gets bored. And he says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, well, we're going fishing too. And while they were fishing, um, the Lord comes up, starts cooking breakfast. What does one fisherman say to another fisherman who's fishing? (laughs) Catching anything? (laughs) That's what fishermen say to each other. Catching anything? So what, what does the Lord do? He said, hey boys, are you catching anything? And they said, nah. And so the Lord says, well, why don't you try throwing the net on the other side of the boat? Now, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, I've heard this before. <laughs> and so they throw the net on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden, there's so many fish in it that uh, John said, it's the Lord. And Peter couldn't wait, so he dives in, or John dives in. And Peter's the one, the reason I think that uh, Peter was a big man, it tells us how many fish they caught, 153. And Peter was pulling that by himself. But by the time that they got there, um, uh, breakfast was already made, and he was ready to serve them. But the reason I'm telling this story is because of John 21, verse 12, Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. And then it says, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Wow, that's loaded with why, if the, if the Lord, it was the same Lord that they recognized what, when they walked with him for three years, why would this be said? Because I believe he's restraining their eyes too. But none of them dared ask, who are you, knowing It was the Lord. And for my personal opinion here, I think because of the word of God, he wanted them to believe. When he told them that he was gonna die and rise again, they didn't believe. And so now it may be he's restraining them so um, they believe it's the Lord because only the Lord can cause no fish to become a whole lot of fish. (laughs) And so they didn't dare ask, is it the Lord? This is the third time in John in, in the Galilee, it's the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciple after he raised from the dead. Um, I'm gonna show you after we're done with Cleopas here, the, the other two times. So we're still in Luke um, 24, verse 13. We left off. But their eyes were restrained, verse 16, so that they did not know him. Then verse 17, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having? What's the problem? You guys look like you're bummed out and sad. And they said, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to them, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And the Lord plays dumb. He says, what things? What are you guys talking about? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, notice past tense, who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to crucify him. But we were hoping, notice again, past tense, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
See, they were looking for a Messiah that would establish the kingdom. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since all these things happened. There are certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb earlier that, that astonished us. When they did not find his body, they, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, that he was alive. And this is what they were talking about on the way back to Emmaus. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And then Jesus interrupts them. And he says, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now he's trying to get them back into the word. He's trying to get them to understand that they should have had this all figured out ahead of time because of what the Old Testament said about the Messiah when he would come. He says, why haven't you been studying your Bible? You're supposed to know these things, is the idea. Oh, slow of heart, oh, foolish ones, um, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now he's talking, the Old Testament, New Testament isn't written yet, so when he says scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. He says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? For those of you here on Good Friday, how much time do we spend in Psalm 22 talking about his suffering? They pierce my hands and my feet. My tongue is stuck to the side of my my jaw. Um, They gaze at me, they look at me. They cast lots for my garments and it talks about his suffering. Talks about his suffering in Isaiah 53, that he would be despised. He would be rejected by his own people. The, The idea here is you should have read the scriptures And so what he does at this point is he begins to give them an Old Testament Bible study. And oh, what I wouldn't give to have been sitting in on this Bible study. We read in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There's a scripture that says the volume of the book is about me. A lot of people are going to church this morning hoping to get something out of it because they think the volume of the book is about you. (laughs) No, this is the part of the book that's about you. In you dwells no good thing. (laughs) That's That's what the Bible teaches about you and me. The things that we wanna do, we don't do. The things that we don't wanna do, those are the things that we do. Paul said that. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. I hope that makes you feel nice and fuzzy and warm all over. Pastor didn't have nothing good to say about me this morning at all. All I could talk about was the Lord and the Bible study. But he began at Moses, and he began to teach these guys. He expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning him. I'm just going to give you one, because we talked about it on Good Friday. He was talking to Nicodemus, remember? Nicodemus came at night. By the way, that was the first Nick at night ever in history. Yeah, it's just an old joke, I know, I know. But he said, look, I know that no man can do these things unless God is with him. And the Lord cut to the quick. He knew what Nicodemus wanted. He wanted what Jesus had. 
So he comes right out and tells them. In John chapter three, there's three musts. You must be born again. And a second one was a part of this Bible study right here, beginning with Moses. Nicodemus would have known the story. He says, as in um, John 3, verse 14, it says, as, um, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you were here, the people were complaining, rebelling, so the Lord allowed snakes, poisonous snakes, to come in. People were being bitten. People were dying. And they said, we've sinned. Moses, help us. He says, okay, this is what the Lord told them to do. Make a snake, a bronze one. The snake is symbolic of sin, and the snake from the, from the uh, um, Garden of Eden. And um, bronze is symbolic of judgment. Put it on a pole and tell the people, whoever looks at the pole will live. And whoever doesn't look at the pole, they will die. Nicodemus would have understood that. Sin was being judged because of the people's sin. And everyone that went and looked, they were healed. And then, of course, there were people who weren't healed at the same time. So when we read here, he began at Moses and all the prophets. I'm sure he told that one. But there was many more that he would have went to. And just walking and talking with Jesus on the road, I'm envious of Cleopas. I wonder what his friend's name was. But now, it says in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was going to go on farther. All right, done with Bible study. They're home, and the Lord said, well, okay, see you guys. But they constrained him, saying, why don't you have abide with us? It's towards evening. So this would have been walking on Sunday afternoon. And the day is far spent. And as he went in to stay with them, and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Guys, this is probably what happened. When he was blessing the bread and he gave them to him, he would have had to do this. And in doing so, he would have revealed his nailed, scarred hands. And when they saw that, they went, oh my goodness, it's the Lord. And when they realize it's the Lord, what happens next is the Lord just disappears, gone. So it took them all day to get to where they were going, and uh, the Lord vanished from their sight, literally. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on a road and while he opened the scriptures to us. My friends, that's what happens every time we sit down, and if you're born again, you're having a Bible study, the Lord um, brings about a satisfaction that only this book can bring. It's a good place for an amen. amen. Our hearts burn within us. We go, wow, I've never seen that before. You mean that's in the Bible? And we have this yearning to be fed. Young Christians, we call them feeding them milk. Sunday school, bring them up and uh, teach them on a level that they can understand. But for older believers, we should be desiring to get deep into this book. And I found out every time we go through it, the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. 
And this time, this, um, this Easter Sunday, I have to admit, I'm seeing things I haven't seen before. I have some homework to do uh, in, in putting this all together. But um, this is a good case of heartburn. <laughs> and as he opened the scriptures to us, faith comes by hearing. We're saved by faith. Faith comes by hearing. But the only way that your faith can grow, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes how? By what we're doing right now this morning. We're studying the word of God. Why was Jesus concealing himself? No, he wanted the scriptures to testify to them. Remember what the rich man wanted who was in hell? Send Lazarus back and let him rise from the dead. When my five brothers see that, they're going to believe. And he says, nope. They won't believe, even though one would raise from the dead. Then he said this, they have the prophets. Let them read the prophets. He was saying the way for them to be saved is for them to get into this book and allow the book to persuade them. That will increase their faith and it will lead to salvation when you study the book rather than the traditions of men. All right, both Mary and Cleopas And the disciples that we talked about up in Galilee dared not ask him who he was. I believe the Lord was purposely restraining them that they would believe what he said about his resurrection by faith. Um, Then the Lord says that the Bible can only be divinely understood. Human intelligence is simply not enough to comprehend its truth. Uh, verse 45, uh, Luke 24, let's go back to that. Verse 45, 24-45. says that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. They're opening uh, that their understanding that he might understand the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul declares, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Well, what does that mean? A person who hasn't been born again is gonna read the Bible, and it's gonna mean nothing to them. They're a natural man. But when you're born again and you have the Spirit of God living in you, you'll be able to... um, have that spiritual discernment. These are things that are, that are above and beyond human comprehension, and only the Holy Spirit can make them real to us. Our prayer ought to be, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your word. We should come with a humble attitude to the word of God. Just because you read the Bible, that does not mean that you know it. The Holy Spirit of God will have to make that real to you. Let's look at um, Luke 24, verse 33 and 34. So they arose, this is Cleopas again. The Lord has just vanished from them. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 of those who were gathered with them together saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. All right, the order of appearances 
in the morning, we have the Marys and the women. In the afternoon, we have Cleopas. But somewhere in between there, and the scriptures just touch on this, it says that the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. This would be Peter. Um, It seems that the Lord had a one-on-one with Peter. I personally feel Peter felt disqualified because of what he did. He did something he said he would never, ever do, and that was deny him. He says, these other guys, Lord, I can see them flaking out, but not me. Remember, you called me Rocky. (laughs) And uh, what was his strong point? His strength. He was the one that pulled it up. But the Lord often lets us fail at our strong points. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without him, what? I can do some things. That's not what it says. I can do nothing. And that takes years to really understand that. That in our own strength, in the end, if it's man's works, it comes to nothing. But through him, abide in the vine, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's a good place for an amen. Again, the volume of the book is not about you. And if the Lord does use you, it says every good and perfect gift comes from above. If it's a gift that comes from above and we don't have anything to do with it, what can we say except praise the Lord? Now somebody might compliment you um, for your gifts or whatever, And like Pastor Chuck always says, be gracious, say thank you. But in the back of your head, you better be saying, all the glory, Lord, goes to you because I know who I am and I know who you are, so praise the Lord and give God the glory. So now, the Lord Jesus appears to Simon Peter privately because there was something that needed to be straightened out. Remember that Peter had denied him the restoration to fellowship was a personal and private transaction between Peter and the Lord. There's, we don't know what happened. And I think that's the way the Lord wants to make it with us. When we fall or make a mistake, um, we have access and it's personal. We can go right to the Lord and this was between Peter and the Lord. All right, this was in the afternoon, let's now go to the evening, John chapter 20, and pick it up in verse 19. So this is all happening on Sunday, what happened in the morning, what happened in the afternoon. Now we read in verse 19 that same day, so it's still Sunday, that same day at evening, uh, being the first day of the week, that means it's Sunday, When the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So imagine um, they're in hiding. And my Bible says they were afraid at this point. And it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, boo. (laughs) No, they're already freaked out, right? They're already afraid. And he just pops in and uh, he says, no, peace, peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I believe that's what he showed Cleopas and his friends. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So at this time, even before um, uh, Pentecost, we have the disciples receiving uh, the Holy Spirit. He says, if you've forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, now the Lord evidently leaves, and Thomas shows up. And the other disciple therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands, the print of the nails, and I put my finger into uh, the print of the nails and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And some people want evidence. Some people want a sign. The Lord said uh, down here, what's going to happen um, between verses 25 and 26 we now have a gap in time because now it's eight days later. And his disciples were again gathered inside, probably the same place, only this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut. Now that's important because again it's implying that he simply appears again in the room. And he stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you, and then he looks right for Thomas. And he says, Thomas, come on over here. I want to talk to you. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hand. And reach your hand here and, and put it into my side. Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now I can honestly tell you I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And if I did have a revelation or a vision or like Paul was taken to heaven, my Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. Good place for an amen. Amen. Because Peter, because Paul went to heaven, you know what the Lord had to do? He put a thorn in his side, a messenger of Satan, that would be a demon, to buffet him. What does that mean? I don't know. All I know is Paul wanted gone and he prayed three times, Lord, get rid of this thing. And Lord, after the third prayer, the Lord said to Paul, no, Paul, not gonna take it away. You see, you just got back from heaven. I mean, you could write a book and go on a book tour and your head could get really, really big and you could actually think that you're somebody special. So I'm gonna leave you have this thorn in his side because it's gonna keep you humble. And Paul, that's all he needed to hear. He, as long as God was talking to him, that's all he wanted to know. He says, praise the Lord. Therefore, I'll glory in my infirmities that when I'm weak, then I'm really strong. And it won't be me, but it'll be the Lord working through me. And so the point here with Thomas, he says, Thomas, you're believing now because you've seen 
Blessed are those who are going to believe because of the word of God. Matter of fact, it says more blessed. Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now, John closes, let's go, uh, Thomas believes. John closes his gospel. Um, Let's go back to verse 30 here. He closes it. These are um, verses 30 and 31. And it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole Gospel of John, is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels because they're similar. John only writes about seven miracles and seven I am statements. And he says, that's all I'm gonna write about. He says, here, there's many things I could write about. Matter of fact, if you turn the page to John 21, verse 24, It says, this is the disciple, John, who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did which were not written uh, one by one, but I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that's how he closes it. John's whole purpose for writing his gospel is that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing in him that you might have eternal life. Uh, In closing this morning, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This will be the most important question anybody is ever going to ask you. If you look at John 11 verses 25 and 26, Lazarus is dead. He's been in the grave for four days now. The Lord purposely doesn't show up for four days. Martha is disturbed, and I believe she sarcastically says in verse 22, Lord, if you would have been here, uh, my brother would not have died, verse 21. And then the Lord said to her in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks her square in the eye and he says, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Easter is all about believing in the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. Do you believe this? Well, you say, you say I'm a Christian, but you expect me to believe all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? There was a poll that was taken in the UK. I'm quoting this from an article. The title is 46% of UK Christians believe Jesus died and resurrected. A new poll revealed that less than 46% of 
of Christians in the UK believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the world's sins. Uh, results from this BBC poll conducted last month on more than 2,000 British adults were announced by BBC at a radio program, um, spurring the host to ask how much of the traditional Easter story is actually optional for Christians. In other words, I'll believe this, but not this. Have you ever heard the terminology of a red-letter Christian? A red-letter Christian, if you look at your Bible, some of it's red if you have a red-letter Bible, a red-letter Christian believes only the things that are written in red. And uh, there are many who say sarcastically, you expect me to believe the whole Bible, that there was a worldwide flood? Joshua just got, took his family down to, to Kentucky to, to see, uh, to scale the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, many, some of you will be going to the Grand Canyon um, for the Grand Staircase and with Russ Miller. And he doesn't use a lot of scripture, he just uses scientific fact that there was a worldwide flood that created Bryce Canyon, Zion Canyon, and the Grand Canyon. And the Colorado River, over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years of time, formed the Grand Canyon. If that's true, then the Fox River should be a whole lot lower, (laughs) and we'd see that all over the world. No, that's not what um, the scientific evidence. There are strata layers that are there. And Russell will take you and point you all the way down to the original where the strata from the Noah's flood began to build, 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 build. Um, a mile down, what most people know that as you stand through the Grand Canyon, there's also land a mile above it. And he gives a scientific fact. Boy, could I get sidetracked there, but I better not. Except to say that believing the Bible, for you that have that perspective, and you're saying, do you really expect me to buy the whole thing, literally from Genesis to Revelation? Write down this guy's name. His name is Dr. Ivan Panin, a Russian mathematician. He spent 50 years of his life doing a study what we call gametria. And through it, Um, he mathematically proves that there's no way that man had anything to do with writing this book. The Bible tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration from God. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation. That's sort of a triple dog, daria thing to do for those of you who don't believe that this could possibly happen. Of course, the other evidence is fulfilled Bible prophecy. The day Jesus died, there was 33 prophecies that were fulfilled on Good Friday. The mathematical probability of 33 of those events all happening on that day being fulfilled is off the charts. So just by using common sense, um, I have every confidence that all of the scripture and the trend today is getting away from the absolute authority of scripture. And when you've done that, you've undermined everything. But as it pertains to the resurrection, let's close by looking at 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. They may call themselves Christians in the UK, but Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. What's the will of the Father? 
to love him first and foremost, above everything else. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Do you know why he said that? Because you must be born again. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, this is the Corinthian church. In verse 12, in the church there were actually people. It says, now if Christ has preached that he has been risen from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching in vain and your faith is also in vain. In other words, you're wasting your time this morning by being here if there's no resurrection. Besides that, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Now that is a scary thought, that we're still in our sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep before us or died in Christ have perished. No hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are men most pitiable or miserable. If this is what it's all about, and if it's only about the here and now, and we have this birthday dash of the day we die, and and if that's all there is, he says that's that's pathetic and and, um, the glorious hope of the kingdom and being resurrected. So we um, read in verse 20 and 22, but that's not the case. There were people in the church that were denying the resurrection. Now Paul says to him, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead, praise the Lord, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The word death is never used for a believer, only fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Because of Good Friday, you can look back and not be afraid. What was Good Friday all about? Oh, Jesus took my sins and your sins upon himself, and he gave me his righteousness. That pretty much takes care of my past. Don't have to worry about it at all. Matter of fact, the Lord tells us, and Paul tells us, forgetting those things that are behind Some people can't enjoy life because they're all hung up by something they did 20 years ago. And they never came to the Lord and asked the Lord to cleanse them of it and not free of it. Matthew says, um, um, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. He says, don't be anxious and don't take thought about tomorrow. You know how liberating that is, if that's the case? If I don't have to worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow and my past is all taken care of, What does that do for the here and now? Oh, it sets you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friday is all about my past being forgiven. So because of Good Friday, we look back, we're not afraid. But because of Easter, we look ahead and we're not afraid. Because no matter what happens, um, um, maybe some of you won't be here next year 
something could happen. But we have this glorious hope of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, that we'll all be made alive. The hope of the resurrection. The French mathematician, August Camnet, was talking about religion one day with his Scottish um, writer, Thomas Carley. Um, Carmi suggested that they start a new religion to replace Christianity based on positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale type, and mathematical principles. Carly thought about it for a moment and replied, nah, very good, Mr. Common, very good, but all you'll need to do will be to speak as never a man spoke and live never as a man lived and be crucified and rise again the third day and get the world to believe that you're still alive. Then your religion will have a chance of going on. Therefore, look at verse 55 of 1 Corinthians 15. Picking it up in verse 55 and we'll close with these, these scriptures. Uh, they say that the greatest fear people have is two things. Public speaking <laughs> and death are two of the greatest fears that people have. But what if the resurrection is true? And the reason that we're here this morning is once again, remember that Jesus rose from the grave. We can have the attitude in verse uh, 55 here where Paul says, bring it on. Oh death, where's your sting? Oh, oh grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord, through the resurrection. Therefore, wherever there's a therefore, what do we say? Ask what it's there for. It's all about the resurrection. Therefore, because um, your best life is not here now. And I say praise the Lord to that. <laughs> no. It says, when we're taken to heaven, that at his right hand are treasures and pleasures forevermore, and you'll be rewarded. So he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We look around and we see people getting away from the certainty of this book filling it with programs, devices, and other things. And we see, as the Bible predicts, a falling away. I would leave you with this thought this morning. Stand your ground. Don't change the thing. It's true from Genesis to Revelation. And we're here this morning to remember. Paul said as he was writing, he says, I know you know these things, but I'm telling them to you to stir up your remembrance. Stay the course. Don't change, don't look for some new doctrine or thing that's floating around. Um, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Amen to that? So praise the Lord, he's alive, and he's coming soon. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the chronological order of events that took place on Resurrection Sunday, from when you first appeared to Mary, 
to Peter and John, to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, in the upper room, with and without Thomas. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have of heaven. We thank you for the certainty of the scriptures. And Lord, we do believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and that he who lives and believes in you will never die. In Jesus' name, amen. Forevermore. And you'll be rewarded. So he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We look around and we see people getting away from the certainty of this book, filling it with programs, devices, and other things. And we see, as the Bible predicts, a falling away. I would leave you with this thought this morning. Stand your ground. Don't change a thing. It's true from Genesis to Revelation. And we're here this morning to remember. Paul said as he was writing, he says, I know you know these things, but I'm telling them to you to stir up your remembrance. Stay the course. Don't change. Don't look for some new doctrine or thing that's floating around. Um, The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Amen to that? So praise the Lord. He's alive and he's coming soon. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the chronological order of events that took place on Resurrection Sunday from when you first appeared to Mary, to Peter and John, to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, in the upper room with and without Thomas. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have of heaven. We thank you for the certainty of the scriptures. And Lord, we do believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and that he who lives and believes in you will never die. In Jesus' name, amen.